What's going on, travel family? Shout out to all the adventures near and far. Welcome to Point Noir, home of the Point Noir podcast, where we equip men of color to realize their full potential through travel. I'm your host, Jerry III, a.k.a. Kimono Jack, and you're listening to the 74th session of the Point Noir podcast. Happy Tuesday, everybody, continuing to celebrate Black History Month. You know what, y'all? If you're listening to the show right now, you're participating in Black History every single week because the men we have on the show are historic. They are making history. They are bucking trends. Shout out to y'all for participating in all the goodness that we got going on. And speaking of participating, if you did know already, we sponsor a man of color to get his passport every single month. If you need more instructions or details on how to do that, check us out on Instagram at Point Noir Show. You can submit an entry on Twitter, on Instagram. We love to get your submissions and we just sponsored our 19th man of color this month so hey you could be the 20th or somebody you know could be the 20th and listen if it's someone you know i bet they will be eternally grateful for you sharing this opportunity with them that all being said we have another amazing man of color to introduce to you all today so without further ado let's introduce today's special guest Joining us today as our special guest at The Point is Ronel Perry. Make sure you check him out on Instagram at Afro Buenaventura and check out his website Afro Buenaventura to not only read his amazing blog posts, but see about upcoming trips that he will be hosting with his travel company, Afro Buenaventura, which is pretty dope. We talk a lot about it in the show. We originally met at Audacity Fest in Memphis last year, and I knew I had to get him on the show. He happened to have a little bit of time for us, and well, we really made the most of it. I think you're going to love this session. We talk about his experience with the Peace Corps volunteering for two years. We talk about the significance of Brazil and how he's recently fallen in love with it and how I'm sold on Brazil too. And really, we talk about how travel has transformed him to not only be more aware of who he is, but also with how to express himself. And that's something I relate to so much because before my international experiences, I felt kind of constrained by the boxes that I was familiar with in the United States and going abroad really brought that additional level of awareness for myself. And he does it in such a way that it's easy to follow, easy to grasp. And I really appreciate the wealth of knowledge, all the gems and gold nuggets he drops along the way. This is gonna be a great session. So if that sounds like your bag for the day, if that sounds like your vibe, you already know the drill but if you don't i'm gonna walk you through it we have three steps step number one pour yourself a refreshing beverage of choice mine's going to be some sparkling water because you know i like diet static water step two find the comfiest corner on the coziest couch that you can step three sit back relax and get ready to enjoy another awesome session from us here at the point noir podcast i'll see you on the flip side Yo, what's going on, Ronell? Thank you so much for joining me today at The Point. How you feeling, fam? Uh, thank you for having me. I'm feeling pretty good getting ready for the work week, so I'm chilling out right now. Okay, you know, a little R&R, a little self-care. We promote that sort of stuff here. I'm a fan of it. Yeah, but you know, the, the funny thing is whenever I tell, tell folks that I'm just chilling, they're like, you're not doing anything? You're not going to brunch? You're not? I'm like, no, I'm just at home enjoying my space. And that's kind of how I like to do it on the end of the weekends. A hundred percent. That's all I'm doing after we get off the phone today. It's just me and my space. And I need that. Otherwise, I can't show up as my best self whenever I engage with all these other beautiful humans. Absolutely. I agree. Got to promote this sort of stuff, man. That's my life. It's my real ass life. I'm so glad you're on the show right now, bro. We got to meet briefly in Memphis at Audacity Fest. Shout out No Madness, the whole Audacity Fest squad. 
uh, got to meet, talk just briefly, and I'm excited to learn more about your travel story. I follow you on IG, and I know you're up to some awesome stuff. Thanks again for being here, man. Thank you for the invitation. You know what? Being at Audacity Fest was literally, it was just one of the coolest things. It's almost like when I travel abroad. When I get off the airplane and I go check in my Airbnb and I walk around, I'm just like, I'm here and it's amazing and I'm meeting cool people. That's literally how Audacity Fest was, except I'd seen these people on Instagram. So I'm walking up to folks like, hey, aren't you such and such? And I think when I initially met you at at the museum, I I said, hey, Kimono Jack, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The marketing works out. Yeah, bro. It was, I mean, Audacity Fest was nothing but love. I haven't talked about it much on the platform, uh, but I'm glad you got all the positive energy from it, just like I did. And I feel like everybody else did. If y'all are looking for the only black travel conference to go to, I think we'd both agree that's the one to hit up. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to being there this year in New York, right up the street from where I am. And why pull up. So before we give them any more free promo, let's talk about you, bro. Get me into your adventure story. What's your adventure origin story? Travel, language, and culture has been a part of my life for a very long time. And initially started because my aunt uh, was a, a French teacher in the Gary public school system. That's Gary, Indiana, right outside of Chicago, mm-hmm. home to the Jackson family. Um, and my father enrolled us in a program called Study Alternative International Languages, which was a summer program run by the Gary School System. And we studied languages um, like Japanese, Russian, Arabic, Chinese, German, not, you know, the tradition of just Spanish and French. And so during that summer program, my sister and I, would just spend about five or six weeks learning a language, practicing cultural uh, aspects. And at the end, we would travel with them to, I think one year we went to the Olympics, one year we went to San Francisco, another year we went to Toronto. So those summers during my adolescence really planted a seed for me that learning a language was fun and cool and doable, that it was accessible, and that it would give me the opportunity to bond and connect with people from other cultures. So that's kind of where I got the energy and the um, the motivation to to do that when I grew up. So when I went to high school, I made sure I studied Spanish all four years. And then after high school, I went to college and I part of my uh, degree was in Spanish. So I just stayed with that. And from there, I just started studying abroad. And, and initially, a lot of it was academic based and folks give me the opportunity to study at other you know schools around the world. And then from there, when I grew up, I was like, okay, I have my own budget and I can do this. And so I want to do this as a part of a way to, to fulfill myself. Um, so that's kind of where, how I got started studying and really just having an affinity for cultures and exploration. Wow. What a rich canvas to start painting these stories and experience on. What drove your parents to enroll you in this program? Were they speakers of other languages as well? Did they just feel like they needed to invest in their children in this way? Was it completely your interest? I find that fascinating. Uh, yeah, I think it was just because our, our aunt, you know, was affiliated with the school system and it was something that was different. You know, most school, m- most kids during the summer, they go to the YMCA or YWCA. We did that also. But I think these programs were structured in a different way that had like an academic tinge to them that was like really building ourselves intellectually and also helping us build a skill that was unique to black mm. kids in an urban setting. So it was just a way to engage ourselves differently during the summer. And I think my parents found value in that. And even to this day that I'm speaking about it as something as enriching as it was that still impacts my life, I think is, is proof that that kind of investment was worthwhile. 
For sure. And was there any sense that you had at the time of how important or how significant it was that you and your sister were having these experiences pretty consistently and how different that was? Did you have any sort of sense of that? I think so. You know, especially when you come back to school and you realize that nobody else studied a language during the summer or, you know, when I would meet folks either from Russia or uh, who were Japanese and I would be able to speak a few words to them. And they were like, wow, that's interesting that you, this black kid knows how to say whatever. So I think, you know, understanding that a lot of other people around me weren't having those kind of experiences. And then when I first got the taste of being able to initiate a conversation with someone or create a bond with somebody through this, this, this morsel of culture, I think that's when I kind of realized that it was an incredible thing to be able to do. And I'm sure people were constantly shocked and impressed that you could do these things. Oh, oh yeah. And even to this day, you know, when I walk up to somebody and start speaking Spanish, it's always still kind of like that shock, like, where are you from? Why do you speak Spanish? Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's always, it's kind of like a hidden talent, you know, when somebody says, who has talents here? And, you know, somebody can wiggle their nose, somebody can touch their tongue, touch their nose with their tongue. You know, I speak Spanish and that's kind of my hidden talent. For sure. And it's super practical. I am actually needing to get my Spanish up. I didn't understand it. It was my first language in middle school. Didn't have the greatest teacher. But now that I have you know, taken a stab at French and done pretty well with that, I think I have a good grasp of how to approach languages. But you know what? I'd like to turn the spotlight to you, of course. Do you have any tips for learning languages since you went through all these different languages during these summers, a lot of people struggle with learning languages or think it's not attainable. What sort of quick tips would you have to share with people considering it? Yeah. So in, in, in my most, my academics, um, learning Spanish was for me about rote memorization, just learning the vocabulary and building that mass of words to be able to apply in real life settings. And then when I got to college, it was a little bit more about literature and kind of, you know, seeing how words fit together. But the most valuable thing for me was um, being a Peace Corps volunteer and having to apply these words and the language and the structure of sentences in real life every day. So I definitely think that once you kind of get the grasp of the foundations and the structure of stuff, actually having to practice it and having to rely on it is, I think, one of the most uh, rewarding parts of learning a language that I think really could um, help you, you know, reach a certain point where you feel like you can be functional with a language. Do you think that having access to the language also deepened the richness of experiences that you had as well? What do you mean access to the language? Being able to speak the language. Oh, and, and ask the question again. Do you think that being able to speak the language added value to your experiences abroad? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it does. Languages can be barriers. Languages are also connectors. So when you can take a barrier and turn it into a, an opportunity to connect with somebody, that's definitely added value. And when I travel, and if I travel with people, and I'm the and we're in a Spanish-speaking country, guess who's the go-to? Me, you know, by default. So it definitely adds value to travel experiences. I don't think there's any drawback from it. And even if you don't speak the same language, you know, understanding the the structure of languages and how languages work and how to express yourself with roots and you know just understanding the Latin basis of things, that's always valuable. It's always proven valuable to me. Perfect. I thought we might be in violent agreement with that. My apologies for the phrasing of the original question, but I, I wanted to highlight how there is benefit for languages. You know, nowadays people still have fear of learning languages and there are more tools available than ever to learn a language quickly 
inefficiently. And I feel like sometimes the cop out I feel a little bit is, well, I'm just going to use this Google Translate app. And I'm like, but no, 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 no. There's so much more for you to tap into if you just learn a few phrases and kind of get over that shyness of trying it out. Yes. Um, right now I'm trying to learn learn Portuguese. And I did take this Portuguese class uh, a few years ago here in D.C., um, but I now use the app. And when I was in Brazil most recently, I used Google Translate. So I kind of like punked out and also I was using Spanish to communicate. So there are definitely tools and ways to learn it. And I, you know, feel like folks should pick what's about, you know, the most accessible and, and, and works for their learning style. Um, but I can definitely say when I was in school, I had more time and space to dedicate to it. So now that I'm an adult, I kind of have to find ways to squeeze it into my schedule. That's fair. That's fair. And definitely don't want to language shame anybody. I just think that learning languages has, has definitely given me access, similar to how it's given you a different access and appreciation for a culture or a place. Yeah, I agree with that. Fast forward, because already I know there's going to be a ton of stuff to talk about. Tell me about study abroad. What was that experience like? What led you into that? And where'd you end up going? So my first study abroad trip was to... Wait, wait you did multiple study abroad trips? Yes, I did. So I was applying. So I went to Dillard University in New Orleans, which is an HBCU. Mm -hmm. And my, my, my study was international business and Spanish. So I was applying to this program, which Dillard University represents the U.S. And it's kind of a... It's a, it's like this program that's they have one university from different countries around the world and they come together every year and they and the students talk about social issues and creating ways to collaborate with each other. I was applying to get into this program. You have to apply and then you get in. It's only a very select amount of students every year from each campus that gets admitted. I didn't get into this program, but through the process of that, I became very good friends. And I guess, you know, um, the dean of um, international studies kind of was my mentor and I didn't wow. get into that program, but he said, you know, I got you. Don't worry. So when an opportunity came up, he said, Hey, I have this opportunity to go study for a few weeks at the university of the Virgin Islands. So I went there and we focused on like, um, international development and stuff like that. And then later on that, that same semester, he said, Hey, there's another opportunity if you want to go study for a month in Spain. So I did that kind of in the same year, actually. But, uh, so yes, I did do two study abroads. One was just focusing on international development and creating cross-cultural connections. The other was specifically studying Spanish. Wow. Do you think those programs kind of aided you when it comes to being an adventurer in the way that you are now or... Like, what was that experience like? I feel like there aren't a ton of people of color doing study abroad in general, but you would know better than I do. I think there are a lot, actually. Um, you know, I know many, many folks of color, specifically black folks in the HBCU networks that uh, do study abroad and have many scholarly reasons for studying, for going abroad. I think in the, in the Virgin Islands, uh, my benefit was showing up as myself. Um, and many times we had to like present and stuff like that. So to present in front of other students from other places who, you know, were very smart and very bright, it kind of helped me build my confidence in like an international setting. So I think that was one aspect of it. And then for the Spanish, you know, when I went to Spain, it really showed me that I have the capability to navigate and maneuver solo on my own in other countries and to be comfortable in that. 
So those that's kind of, I think, the foundational things that I got out of both of those different situations that even still serve me to this day. Because, you know, even to this day, when I go abroad, I have to talk in front of people. I have to represent sometimes the U.S. Sometimes I have to represent, you know, what it means to be a black, black male in the U.S. So I have to be confident enough to present myself in front of people who are from different cultural backgrounds. And also, wherever I travel abroad, I always have to have this confidence and sense of self-awareness in order to just maneuver and, and navigate in a place I've never been. I love that. In what capacities do you represent and kind of uh, share this confidence when you travel? So I was I was also in the Peace Corps. And one thing that, uh, and I did Peace Corps in Costa Rica and Paraguay, one thing that people always would come up to me and say is, they have Black people in the U.S.? You know, because they sometimes don't, you know, the images that they've seen of what it means to be American, you know, North American from the U.S. is not a black, tall, skinny boy. It's usually, you know, something that's white and European looking. So I sometimes was the only black person, only black male that they've ever seen in real life or interacted with. The only, I think, reference they had was either Barack Obama or um, Chris Rock, like literally that's or Will Smith. Those people, they would always say, are you you look like these people. Um, so I have to sometimes represent what it means to be black male. I don't like doing that, but sometimes I'm their only tangible source resource to understand a little bit about what a black male is. Um, so that that's a part of it there. Yeah, I can definitely relate. And yeah, those are names that really travel far. Barack Obama, <laughs> Chris Rock, Will Smith. I mean, they're international movie stars and we trade culture from the States. How have you discovered the best way to navigate these sorts of discussions? Because some people, I feel like, don't really know how to approach that because it doesn't happen to you while you're in the States, you know? Yes. It's it's so hard to navigate that. I just had, I just kind of say, hey, I am me. Yes, I'm a Black male. There are many of us in the U.S. We're different. I can't speak for all of the Black people who look like me. Um, I'm an individual just like you would be an individual in comparison to someone who is your countrymen, you know, um, I just kind of represent individuality and I'm, I try to be a resource, an open resource for them to ask candid questions if they need to, but also, re you know, recognizing that I don't have all the answers and everybody's not like me. So I just try to create a space for people to become more aware, not to give all the answers, but just to help people become more aware and answer questions if they have them, recognizing that I don't have the only answer. I love that perspective, and I'm going to ask you to share a little bit more on it, because as we travel and discover ourselves through the world, yeah, it's cool to see the sights, it's cool to eat the food, but I think that there are these other transformations that occur on an inner level, just like you're talking about. So how have you learned to navigate creating space for other people, or is that a skill that you just innately had since you were a kid? I think I've grown to have that skill. And it has a lot to do with listening. So I'm going to talk about my Peace Corps experience again. You know, Peace Corps, uh, when we when we begin to learn about what it means and how to communicate about what Peace Corps means, we say something like, we are educated professionals who are uniquely capacitated to help bring value to communities where we live and serve, right? That's what we say. We say we're people from the U.S. who have education, and therefore we can go to another community in another country and bring value to that community, specifically because of who we are and what intellectual knowledge we have or professional knowledge we have. But a part of that is the reverberation in, in that us being in that space, we're actually learning from the community. Mm. So that's what I think making space is. Making space is making a space for people to explore who you are and learn about who you are is also 
learning about who they are and um, sharing in that and growing in that. And that, you know, there's no concrete answers about an identity. It's very multifaceted. So I found that, you know, in my international exchange experiences, it's also been about what I've been able to learn about other folks. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I really don't know much about the Peace Corps. So you kind of given that slogan statement really helped. But could you tell me a little bit more about the Peace Corps and the areas that the Peace Corps is active in? Are they all over the world? Is there Peace Corps in the States? There's no Peace Corps, I don't know how you say, community in the U.S. Peace Corps is headquartered in the U.S. It's an NGO and it's funded by the U.S. government, but it has autonomy. So it's not like a military branch or it's not an office of the U.S. government. It's an external entity that receives money from the U.S. government. And we function around the world, all around the world. It just really depends on the economic ties between the U.S. and and the host country and the safety for U.S. citizens to be in that space. So you look up any country, there might be a Peace Corps uh, office there who has Peace Corps workers working there. So I was in Paraguay and Costa Rica, where I was serving as a rural economic promoter, which basically meant that I focused on activities that helped promote rural economies. So um, in Paraguay, I worked with a cooperative a farmers, an agricultural cooperative where they, they there's, there's this group of folks in, 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 in a community where I work to receive money from the Spanish NGO to set up a cooperative. And that means small farmers in this community pull all of their harvest together and then try to sell them to other companies to make money together. Because, you know, in a small capacity, they aren't able to produce the quantity that would be valuable enough for a company to engage them. But if they pull all their stuff together, mm-hmm. they can sell it at a higher price to a company. So I did that in, in Paraguay. In Costa Rica, I worked with a, a, an indigenous community, helping to capacitate them to find economic opportunities that were available to them. So that's kind of what I did in Peace Corps. And the thing about it is, like I said, like I was always learning, I felt like a lot more from them then I was able to teach, you know? Yeah, because I'm guessing your knowledge base, you mentioned that everyone in the Peace Corps is educated and has a body of knowledge. It might not necessarily translate directly into their environment or situation. Exactly. And often, you know, I even I even look at um, my Peace Corps experiences kind of almost like my HBCU experience. You could be smart as hell, you know, you could be fly, you could be on top of your game, but you have to gain the trust of the community where you are. And, you know, like when I was at NHBCU, I was on I was on a scholarship, but I can't just walk into the registrar's office and expect her to approve my papers and get the process going, you know, as cleanly and quickly as I wanted to. But, you know, under my HBCU campus, it was always about the relationships you built. So if I had a friend in the registrar's office, or if I knew the registrar's office and I greeted her and I was polite to her and, you know, we had a rapport, then things might happen a little bit faster, you know? Um, and the same thing in Paraguay and in, in Costa Rica. I couldn't just go into a community and say, hey, I have a bachelor's degree in business. You should listen to what I'm saying. I had to first go there and build community relationships with people. I had to find out who's a leader. You know, I, find, I had to find out how, what's the cultural customs that I need to abide by so that they can start to trust me and value me as a part of their community first, before I can think that I could distill any professional or, or other kind of knowledge to them. Wow. That sounds like a, a mixed bag every single day. It sounds like it's new challenges all the time. It really was because it's, it's, it's really about ma- managing relationships. That's really, I think, what it is about. It's really, and that's what I still find that my international travel is about managing relationships. And if you follow my Instagram or anything like that, like usually when I go places, I'm always talking about these people that I meet because 
and I also have this saying like people over places. When I go places, it's you know sometimes about the beautiful beaches and the mountains and the greenery, but oftentimes more central to to the greatness of any experience that I have is the people that I meet there and the value that they you know add to my travel. A hundred percent, I resonate with that entirely. I'd rather be pulled up in a cafe or at a maquis on the side of the road having a good conversation than being busy seeing all the sights and you know, all these must-see lists, that's not my vibe personally. Yes, I agree with that. And, you know, one thing, and I try not to be a travel snob, <laughs> I really do, um, but I think I'm kind of like the opposite of a travel snob. I have friends that are go places where I'll see people on Instagram and they have these amazing pictures. They ate at the finest restaurants. They had these plush beds. But I'm thinking, this is very one-dimensional. And for me, I don't do most of those type of things. You know, I might splurge a little bit, but the richness from my travels really comes to from the people uh, that I create a relationship with. The people who to this day I can slide in their DMs and be like, hey, I'm coming down there. You want to hang out? Or the people who took me and showed me behind the scenes, the stuff that the tourists don't get to see. So like, yeah. that's really been the key to the richness of travel is really the people who have granted me access to places and, 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 and sites and things that most folks wouldn't see because they're focused on a physical space, a physical thing. Mm. And access can be invaluable. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Ronell. So given that you were exposed to languages early on, you know, we mentioned that rich canvas that you kind of started on all the way up to volunteering for the Peace Corps. How did traveling and engaging with all these different international opportunities start to change how you saw yourself in the world? Hmm. You know, <clears throat> there's this term called global citizen. And I think in undergrad, we kind of threw it around a little bit here and there. But I think that really, you know, these experiences really tried or maybe made me question because I probably don't still have the full answer. Help me question, like, in the grand scheme of the world, who am I? Mm. You know, like, I'm unique in my world, in my little you know, space. But in the grand scheme of the world, there's so many other unique people and places and things, too. So I think international travel has helped me kind of understand who I am and as an individual. And then uh, maybe understand the complexity of the world a little bit more. I think this is a really hard question for me to answer, actually. But I think one thing is just helped me understand there's a lot that I don't know um, and that most people are good. Yeah. I don't, I, that's all I got for you on that, on that, on that answer. It's all good and all gratefully accepted, bro. Even the fact that you had discussions where people thought you were you know, one of three black people that they could name or that they've been exposed to. If you haven't had that experience, you haven't really asked yourself those questions. Like, how do I even describe myself or distinguish myself to someone who doesn't have great contact? Yep. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. One thing I still find even challenging today is like, how do I respond to people who think that black folks only act in a certain way? And usually the way they think that we act is something they've seen on social media or something that's like usually, you know, in the context of hip hop or highly sexualized, like mm -hmm. sometimes I'm just like so blown away by that. And I have to almost catch myself from being offended and then just like realizing that, you know, maybe my I should tra channel that frustration in a different way and just help people to understand that we are multifaceted and that we're as diverse as anyone else, even though our skin color might be similar. Because that's what I really get frustrated with is just to be frank, when I go abroad, I find that I receive a lot of like sexual energy and attention from people mm -hmm. that is based on the way that the world shows black people in a very sexual way. 
And mm-hmm. so people that are not black have this image of black men as hypersexual, as, you know, having these sexual qualities that they may not be uh, accustomed to or something. So like to to them, I'm almost a form of entertainment. And I sometimes have to, I have to vet my relationships when I go abroad because I'm either wondering, do people look at me as an American who they think has money or they look at me as a black guy who they think is, you know, very sexual and somehow going to engage with them on that level. I have to distill or sometimes guess and prod to figure out what lens are people seeing me through? Because I understand that I am a mix of a lot of things and that I have different aspects to who I am. But sometimes people outside of my community have only seen one slice of what they think a black man is or what some other entity has told them a black man is. Yeah. That's definitely a complex situation to be in, I can imagine, because you do travel a lot solo, right? I travel 90% solo. (laughs) One of the only reasons why I would go in a group is because I am hosting a group trip abroad. Um, And most recently, I I let a friend of mine um, come on a trip and then he brought two of his friends. So it wasn't like I was there. um, They were my clients or anything. It's just that they ended up coming with me. So, yes, I usually do travel solo. Yeah, I I definitely understand your frustration. I think that's a nuanced discussion. I'd love for you to share how you work around that because I was a tour guide in France teaching black history to 99.9% black tourists that were coming to the city and sometimes their shock or amazement at how they might be perceived or how people approach them again because of the media influences and they got outraged and I'm like having to explain like, uh, listen, it's, it's kind of more of an ignorance thing rather than outright disrespect. Like how have you gone through an evolution to get to a space where you feel more centered in even responding to it? Um, I think for the, you know, I think I'm still evolving. So I'm like, not at this, like, <laughs> like, I'm not like at the end state of this, like professional bullshitter, bullshit alert person who can like intercept all these bullshit signals and then just turn them off. I try to just ignore it because like people, um, even in South America where a lot, there are a lot of darker skin tone people, people, especially when I had locks, people come up to me, ask me, do I have weed? Um, uh, people think I'm a prostitute. So like a part of me is laughing on, and a part of me is crying, but then I just have to like <laughs> ignore it because I don't have time to like figure all of it out. I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. Let me keep going about my day. So I think I'm still stuck in that amazement and shock every time it happens still. Like I'm evolving in my response, but like for the most part, I just ignore it and I'm often disappointed by it. Mm. And I, I, I mean, you can't engage everybody in an intellectual conversation about what they just did to offend you and why it's wrong and all these other things out there that actually show you that I'm not just a drug dealer because I have locks and I'm black or I'm not a prostitute because I'm black. You know, like sometimes it's just not enough time, space or energy to engage every single person to try to educate everybody. Yeah, especially while you're still reacting or going through your phases of emotion. I love how you said that you're laughing and also crying on the inside. I, I really visualize that. Yeah, totally. Because I'm like, wait, did they just, uh, should I be offended? And, you know, um, like in Mexico or in any Latin American country, Spanish-speaking country, uh, when they use the, the term negro, and oftentimes they'll say it's like a term of endearment or something like that, I'm still conflicted with that. You know, really? like they'll say, mi negro. Yes, mi negro, blah, blah, blah. And they say it's a cultural context. But I feel still, I still feel like the historical context is actually what's overriding the cultural context. Like the reason mm-hmm. why negro is like such a word is because, you know, when the Spanish people came over here and they segmented people out by their skin color and stuff like that. So the historical context 
in the way that people use it now, I just feel like there's a gap and a lack of understanding behind why it would be offensive to me to be called a color, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't ascribe to it the same way that a lot of people use it in their cultures, but I accept that they use it in their cultures. I just don't ascribe to it and I try not to use it myself. Right. Still within the black community, you have some people who don't want to use a quote unquote N-word. Like they don't want to say nigger with an A-H or a hard R. Like you have differences within our own community here. That's true. Yeah, I agree. You're right. I'm totally supporting what you're saying. I think that level of nuance is important to bring awareness to because like you mentioned, some people who travel a lot on social media, and we're not travel shaming y'all, but sometimes it appears kind of one dimensional. But how do you feel when you're alone by yourself on a solo trip? You've invested your time, your money, your energy. And while in general, the vibe might be good, occasionally you might have moments like this that come from deep misunderstandings that are kind of outside of your control. Yes. Was that a question for me? It wasn't a question. <laughs> oh, a yes, I agree. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. Yep. And you know what? Yeah, I, I I really try not to judge people's travel. I just feel like, um, like you know, you're no travel shaming. I just feel like there's such a deeper um, experience that comes from uh, moving away from like the imagery of travel to like the real personal connections um, that happen during travel. I like that you mentioned about the relationships and cultivating and growing through those. What have been some standout experiences throughout all your travels where you really got to engage with people on a personal level? What sort of opportunities have happened for you? So when I was in Peace Corps in Paraguay, um, the way it's structured is you have three months of training in a country and you are in this, you're in a community where all of your colleagues who are also the U.S. Peace Corps, we all are live together for three months, not in the same house, but like in the same community. We, as our, we have our host families and then there's like this central place where we go to learn every day. And so after that three months of training, you're assigned to a community that might be anywhere within that country. Mm-hmm. So when I first got to my permanent host community, um, I needed to get my luggage from the like the town center up into the hills where my host family lived. And um, so my, my host contact sent his friend to come get me. This man, I'm thinking they're going to pull up like a I, mind you, I had like three suitcases, like huge ones. Wow. And like a duffel bag or something. I'm thinking they're going to send like a pickup truck or something. This man pulls up on a motorcycle. Ooh. I'm like, how is this going to work? And the dude like, in, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm going to describe him the way that I perceived him when I first saw him. He looks like bummy, you know, kind of like he'd been working on cars all day. His hands are dirty. His fingernails are grimy. He looks kind of like rough, you know. And he says, get on. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, get on. And so like he puts a luggage on top of his handlebars. He, I have a luggage in my backpack. We have a luggage between us. So like we're trying to go up this hill with all this luggage on a motorcycle. There's dogs running behind us chasing the, the bike. It was just like a crazy Yo. experience. But my initial perception of him was he was not worthy of engaging with because of the way he looked physically, right? Hmm. Do you know that man became my best friend in that whole community? Like out of all the people, the one who I initially thought was a bum became like my best friend because he listened to me. We shared experiences. He was going through stuff. We were able to commiserate together. We were able to talk about things together. And we engaged in a way that I didn't find I was able to engage with anybody, you know, even the people who had degrees and who were the business owners or who were the respectable people of the community. That was one of the first examples for me where a really intimate personal connection with somebody started to mean a lot to me 
And I had to really rework the way I perceive people when I first see them because that was the very first time. And I had another instance when, when I perceived somebody based on their physical features to not be valuable to me. And that person ultimately became my best friend and showed me much more than anybody else. So like wow. that's when I really started to figure out that personal connections are like everything when you're in a place where you, you're, you're not native to. And the way that person shows up physically means hardly nothing about the value and the love that they can show you as a human. Absolutely. That's always the the hope, right? That people see us for who we are, not necessarily what we look like or what we represent, whether we're pretty attractive or otherwise. We want people to appreciate those unique qualities about us that are internal. Exactly. And that is exactly what you just articulated is exactly what that made me think about myself. I'm like, hey, if I'm judging these people based on what they look like, then I shouldn't be able to expect them to not judge me based on what I look like and draw some stereotypical um, lines between that and who I am. Like, I need to accept other people in order for me to expect other people to accept me. I have a lot of value and riches to to share with them. So I need to also be open to the value and the riches that they can share with me, regardless of what they look like. So that's kind of been my the way I move through the world now is understanding that there could be a total disconnection between the way somebody shows up physically and what they can share with me on other levels. Yeah. And you said something really interesting about the richness inside of you. I love the way you phrased it. When I introduce the show, when we do the, you know, my little intro or whatever, I'll say, you know, this is how men of color can explore their greatest potentials through travel. And I want to ask you if you think that traveling this way, of course, you had this experience when you were with the Peace Corps, but do you think you'd express yourself the way you do today if it hadn't been for these international experiences? Nope. I sure would not be. I I wrote this blog piece probably a couple of years ago when I said that travel is not my escape. And the reason why I wrote that is because I feel like at some point I was probably using travel as my escape, like a way to get away from everything, a way to become a new person. And actually, I think travel makes me have to practice showing up being who I really am. Because when I'm traveling, I'm not going to a nine to five. I'm not around people who have any power over my life. So I can like when I travel, I can be totally who the fuck I am because Nobody really has power to impact my life, you know, because I'm only there for a few days. I can get on a plane and leave. So I think traveling has made me practice showing up as who I really, really, really am. So when I get back home, I'm even more emboldened to show up as the full Ronell that I want to show up as and that I can have the freedom to show up as when people don't know me. So travel has really, I think, helped me practice that and understand that I'm valuable in in a lot of ways that I want to actually share with the world even when I'm at home. That's beautiful and makes all the sense in the world. It's one of those things where, yeah, you're more open. You're outside of your comfort zone. You're more open to engaging. You're going to leave, like you mentioned. You know, why not live life to the fullest? And I'd love to know. I love the title that travel is not my escape. I want to know if you could share maybe some specific approaches you took to open yourself up while abroad and then maintain that openness when you came back home so you could continue to evolving into the person you are now. Yeah, there's one in specific, specifically that I want to um, touch on. So I think when I when I was about to go to the Peace Corps, my grandmother, she was like, why are you doing all this traveling? You need to just buy you a car and settle down. Mm. And, you know, I think that is probably a little bit indicative of how a lot of black families or I don't know if it's just black community, but I can just speak from the black reference. Um, a lot of black families see international travel as like this frivolous 
expenditure of energy and money to go places and explore stuff when actually, uh, you know, a lot of our grandparents, like the center of their life is focused around maybe a smaller community, maybe around owning property or something like that. But we're choosing to spend our time and energy you know, not necessarily investing in something that's going to keep us in one space, but investing in things that are allowing us to move freely. Hmm. One thing that I have learned about that is I need to trust people. So, you know, where my grandpa- grandparents would be really having a lot of questions about where are you going? Who is this? Can you trust them? Is it safe? I've learned that for the most part, I can trust when I travel. You know, you have to be kind of smart, but people, for the most part, have your best interests in mind. And that's one of the biggest things that travelers taught me that, like, I can trust. And I have to trust. And every single time when I feel like, damn, where'd this person invite me? Like, should I really go or should I not go? When I, you know, do my little math and calculations in my head, you know, like the Julia Roberts uh, meme with like all <laughs> equations on the back. You know, after I do that process and I get to the final answer of, yes, I'm going to take a chance and go. It's never failed me that it comes out to be an enriching experience. So one thing that um, travelers show me about showing up and being my fullest self is actually that I can trust other people, other humans that have the same kind of intentions and, and perspective, I can trust that energy to show up in the world and bring me what I want to get out of it. What do you think keeps, we'll say men of color in particular, what do you think keeps us from doing more of that here in the States? Well, I'm going to try not to be like speaking for the entire black male community, but from my peers, like when I go on Facebook, I'm one of the only black men that I knew growing up that travels abroad. You know, and this kind of reminds me of experiences when I was younger. I was usually the only one doing certain things, wearing certain clothes, you know, saying certain things, raising my hand whenever teacher asked a question. I feel like there's some this this thing about feeling like you don't want to stand out that kind of mm. contributes to it and feeling like, you know, nobody else is doing it. So why should I do it? I just feel like black men, we have to constantly get to a level of increasing our own personal freedom. And I feel like a part of that is making decisions to do stuff that our family hasn't done before. If that means travel abroad, then do it. If that means moving to another country, that means then then do it. If that means moving outside of our town, that, then we should do it. If that means right. learning a language and going to find us or some foreign language speaking girlfriend or boyfriend, then do it. I feel like we have to break free of the safety that we feel because people around us are all doing the same thing. That's kind of been my experience as a black man. Like I feel like a lot of us kind of just want to stay safe because that's what our homeboys are doing. But if we take mm. the risk, I feel like we could find a lot of value in traveling. The irony in all that is the people that we aspire to be, the the superstars, the athletes, the entertainers, the lawyers, the business people, they all took risks. You don't become someone of note by being like everybody else. You feel what I'm saying? Absolutely. And a lot of them were probably the only black person they was in the room with when they took the risk. So like... Oftentimes, I'm the only black person on that plane. You know, I'm the only black person in that Spanish class, whatever it might be. Like, we can't be afraid to take those risks and show up as our full selves and be the only person. Like, we just have to. Right. Because without taking those risks, you almost guarantee being left in obscurity. Absolutely. Yeah, I like the way you phrase it. I really appreciate that. Off the top of your head, could you think of any opportunities that men of color could engage in in their hometowns that would help train this muscle a little bit without committing to going abroad or going halfway across the country? I don't know. I don't know about any of those. I got nothing. Okay. Okay. And I grew up a a different kid. Like I was a competitive tap dancer since I was, what, seven? 
Mm-hmm. So I was always into different shit. I later got into sports and then music, things that were a little bit more relatable. But y'all feel like more more men of color need to take a yoga class, go take a movement class, you know, basic dance, just like experience yourself for just the physical form that you have, stuff like that. Go out to a salsa night. Tons of attractive people at salsa night. You feel what I'm saying? Like stuff like that to open them up. It's true. I'm going to go somewhere where you might not have wanted this to go, but I feel like a lot of what you just said focus, it centers on this issue of masculinity and what we as Black community members and Black men perceive to be masculinity and what, what is not masculinity. And I feel like we need mm. to, in some ways, detach ourselves from what we might perceive to be masculinity because it's been wrong and has kept us from reaching outside of these comfort zones because of what we think people might perceive us to be. Like, there's a lot of Black boys who might be interested in dance, but they're not going to be in dance because their homeboys are not going to think they're masculine enough. Or it's some Black parents out there who are not going to put their kids in certain learning experience because they don't think that's what boys should be doing. I literally was on Facebook and a former college classmate of mine was making some posts about her son wanting to play the flute. And she said, no, no, no son in my household is going to play the flute because that wasn't masculine enough. I feel like we need to like really reframe our idea, our idea of what masculinity can be and how it can show up because our, our boys are literally prisoner to that idea, which is most often wrong. And it's keeping mm. us from exploring the world and ultimately it's keeping us from exploring who God created us to be. Wow. I think you're on something and no problem going there, bro. I told you before we started recording, this is your show. I want to talk about what you want to talk about. I'd love to know how you've experienced masculinity being different through your travels. Like has traveling abroad introduced you to different ideas that you're like, oh, wait a second, shit, y'all could be doing this here in the States. Yes, yes. So I'm going to talk about one this time that I just recently spent in Brazil and then another time when I was in in, in Ghana. So in Brazil, (laughs) you know, like my play brother went to Brazil a couple years ago. And he was just raving about it. I mean, raving about it. And he was like, you out here doing this Afro-Latin stuff. You never been to Brazil. Like, so everybody, whenever I talk about this, you know, I talk about what I do in my interest in Afro-Latin America. They're always like, how could you do this and be interested in this and never gone to Brazil? So I finally went to Brazil in November. Could you, could you tell us a little bit why Brazil is so important? Yeah. So Brazil, believe it or not, is home to the world's second largest Afro-descendant community outside of Africa. Mm-hmm. That means that more Black people live in Brazil than any other place in the world outside of the motherland itself. Nigeria is number one. Brazil is number two. Brazil received many times over the number of African slaves than the U.S. received. So if you think about the um, importation of, of Africans to the U.S., if you multiply that times probably about 10 That's how many Africans that Brazil got. So if you imagine right now, the descendants of Africans living in Brazil, they're everywhere. Like you go to Brazil. And when I went to Brazil, like people didn't perceive me as being an outsider because there were so many black people there that looked just like me. Going back to my Brazil story, I just saw I was in so many spaces where there were I don't know how to identify, but people who are perceived to be heterosexual, people who I perceive to be trans experience, people who are perceived to be gay men and women, all coexisting in the same space, communing together with the focus being their connection through the African diaspora. I saw that and I was like, damn, there are no spaces in the U.S. that I'm aware of that can convene all of these people from this from different backgrounds in a loving way with the focus being our common African ancestry. Like I've never seen that before. And I 
grew up in Chicago. I currently live in Washington, D.C. I regularly go to New York. These are the most metropolitan and black cities in the U.S., and I've never encountered a space like that. I really am struggling to imagine what that looks like. That sounds incredible. Well, yes, you can go to my um, Instagram or whatever and see some images from those places. One of the things I did before I went was I slid in some DMs of folks who I knew were in these Brazilian cities where I was going. I said, hey, I was just frank. I was like, hey, where are black gay men in Brazil? Mm -hmm. And they sent me links to these events that were happening. So I got on Uber and I went to those events. And when I got there, I was just floored with the diversity of people there who were all brown and rocking their afros and doing their thing. And all the different ideas and intersectionalities that they represented. So that's one of the things where I'm like, damn, Brazil came out of slavery much later than the U.S. And they have so much on us as far as accepting each other and understanding that we're all black and beautiful and we should all be recognized. Like they're so much further ahead of us um, in these spaces that I experienced that, that I've ever had the opportunity to come into contact with here in the U.S. So that's one of the places where like my understanding of sexuality and masculinity and how all that shit kind of just crumbled uh, because I saw it being, I saw it showing up in a more inclusive way um, in Brazil. Wow. I appreciate your transparency and how well you stated all that, because while I knew a lot about Brazil's history and knew that the minority of enslaved people went to the U.S. and most of them went to Brazil and the Caribbean, I didn't understand that about the culture. And we talk all about being pro-Black and you know, love and melanin, yet we have a lot of difficulties accepting each other for lifestyle choices, who we're attracted to, all this other bullshit. I've never thought of Brazil in the way that you just described it. And now I actually want to go there to see it, to witness it. Oh, yeah. And if, if you ever need to know exactly where to go, just hit me up. Like one thing that I've that has been more and more clear to me as I've progressed as an adult man and also as a traveler is that I have the responsibility to show up as my full self. Mm -hmm. So when I'm abroad, not only are people seeing that I'm a black man, but I have to show up as a black gay man, a black queer man. And, you know, not saying that I'm going to be putting on any shows for anybody to make that clear, but like that is a part of my identity. So when I travel somewhere, yeah, I'm going to be looking for the black parts of the community, but I'm also going to be looking for the queer parts of the community. And I think that's been less focal previously than it is now. Like when I go to to another country now, not only am I researching like the black community and the tours that are going to highlight African identity there, but I'm saying where the black folks that are queer, where the gay men there, like I'm recognizing my entire identity, all the intersectionalities. And I'm saying this place needs to represent this when I go there to explore it. Like I'm not just looking at one side of my identity. And if the people that I'm with can't get with that, then I'll go on my own. That's how travel now, me as a person who gets to direct my own destiny, like that's how travel has to show up for me. A hundred percent. I totally, totally get it. And really, since starting the show, I didn't realize the intersectionality I would encounter in having all these different guests who come from different perspectives. I'm thinking about travel as a black straight male and all the experiences I've had. And there's been a whole series of elements and community that I've become aware of since starting this show. When you commit to showing up as yourself in these spaces, are there any things that you consider? Like, are there certain areas of countries that aren't great to be in when you're being your full self? Are there other areas that are more inclusive, like a Brazil? Do you think about these things when you travel or you're just showing up and doing you? Oh, I absolutely think about these things because, you know, in regardless of if I was coming as the out gay man or not, 
I'm going to need to know about the culture of a place before I even go there. So I had an mm-hmm. experience with somebody who I know in my family went to the Middle East. It was trying to wear midriffs and be all fabulous and stuff. Or she got reprimanded because the women there cover their bodies. So I think as an informed traveler, whatever your identity is, you have the responsibility to first acquiesce to the local culture. I think that's a really good way to put it. Your responsibility when you travel is to acquiesce to the local culture. Like you have no power to say, no, this is my right to show up as who I want. Because no, you're not an American context anymore. You have to, you know, respect the local culture and the norm. So I'm never going to step outside of that and one, potentially disrespect somebody's culture and their um, expectations or put myself in danger in order to make a statement. That's not my agenda at all. But also, if I feel like those issues are too repressive, then I'm not going to go there in the first place. But I think the foundation of it is the research that I did before I even decide if I want to go somewhere. I agree with what you're saying 100%, and I think that's a fair perspective. I'm cautious as someone who operates this platform about the sort of advice, blanket advice I give because, you know, I talk to men of color because I understand that. I don't, I have too much privilege and lack of experience to give women advice. And I don't have any experience giving queer or gay men or transgendered people at all any advice. But I think the way you phrased it leans on people's own research to to figure out what environments are worth their time, effort, and money. And I really like the way that you put all that together. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that kind of brings me to another point. I view travel and tourism, however you want to say it, as an economic activity, and I'm the person who gets to manage how I spend my money. So right. that means I'm going to you know, spend my money in places where I feel like I can be, I'm going to be recognized and um, I can show up as my full self. So like I said, a part of that is fully standing in my blackness. A part of that is fully standing in my identity as a queer black man. So I go places where I can show up as my full self and I can also patronize businesses and people that want me to show up as my full self because in a way I view travel as wealth redistribution. Me as a man who has money to spend when I travel, I can choose the people who would receive that money for providing services to me. So I'm really careful and intentional about how I spend my money and also recognizing that a lot of people's livelihoods are based on tourism, but also me as, you know, a tourist, I can really put my money where I feel like I can be myself, be recognized as as valuable. I appreciate the perspective so much because in my view, and I don't know how this might sound to the the community listening right now, but that's empowering. A lot of times when people pose travel questions, they come out of almost fear or concern like, ooh, will they be nice? Or ooh, will I experience racism? Or how will I be treated? Rather than, wait a second, I have the ability and power to choose where I place my dollars and where I invest my time. The way you phrased it, I think, gives people that idea that, wait a second, I'm actually in control. Yeah, you are in control. You have the power to research and find out information before you go. I mean, some places you're just not probably not going to be able to get around it, you know, if there's a specific reason why you want to go to a place. But like uh, one of my friends went to Yacht Week in Croatia. He said it was so racist there. I said, well, Mm. one. I have no interest in going. But two, if I wanted to go, I will never go because you told me that. There's no reason for me to go to a place just because I think it's going to be fun when I can't even really show up as who I was created as. Like, that's that makes no sense to me. So, yeah, that's kind of my philosophy on that. And my power, I mean, my money is my power in a way. I want to ask you a question about your friend in Croatia and his experience there or their experience there. How do you account to leave space for 
circumstances and conditions. One thing I've become aware of a lot lately when I talk to people about places, we'll take Paris as a great example. I tell people to experience Paris for themselves. I know people who've gone to Paris three times, four times, gotten mugged three out of those times on that fourth trip. They loved it. I enjoyed my time there. You know, everybody has their own experience. How do you leave space for interpretation, whether it be on somebody else's word of experience or what you share about a place? Yeah, I love that question because it reminds me of when I'm going through Airbnb and trying to figure out where I'm going to actually book, you know, mm -hmm. or even when I'm on Amazon, you have to look at the full volume of how much feedback a place has gotten and, and you know, what you've heard anecdotally about people's experience. And then you have mm. to look at the reviewer themselves. So me having studied Spanish or whatever language, you know, um, having done the Peace Corps, have lived in communities where I was the only American, the only black person having traversed entire countries on my own, sometimes not even knowing the language fully. You know, me and my 20 plus years of travel experience and also understanding what I want to get out of travel, which is more about people, connections and culture versus somebody who's going and looking at it from more of a vacation perspective. I have to really weigh those dynamics. So if somebody has a customer service complaint or a cultural issue because they didn't do their research, then I can't take that with the same weight as somebody else who has more of an anthropological view on it like I would. So I mm. kind of have to say, who is this person? What are they talking about? Have I heard other people say the same thing? What kind of travel experience did they expect to get out of it? And then make my decision. So like on Airbnb or Amazon, if one single person says something about, about the product or the booking, then I'm going to say, okay, let me scroll down a little bit further, see what else is there. And then I'm going to look at the pictures and then I'm going to see how the person responded to those complaints. I'm going to weigh all these into my equation, you know, my bringing back up my uh, Julia Roberts meme. I'm going to weigh all those into my <laughs> equations before I am able to make a decision about whether that might be in my experience or not, or whether I should make a generalization about the experience that anybody else would have when they go to that place. So I'm weighing a whole bunch of different things and specifically, you know, whose mouth is it coming out of? And, and do I think that applies to me too? Uh, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. And again, empowering, I feel like a lot of times people say, oh, you know, such and such place is going to be like this and it's going to be like that. Uh, you've got a way the source, and then also consider yourself. You know, we can't all move the same way in the same places. Yep, absolutely. And I, you know, one thing that I also think is we have to really figure out what is it that we're getting out of travel. So a part of my travel philosophy is also having intentionality about mm. really what I want the return on my investment to be. So when I went to Brazil, so I went to Sao Paulo and Rio, my intention was to engage with Black queer communities. That is exactly what I did. And I didn't really have a plan on how I was going to do it, but I made it happen because, you know, the different resources that I use to to figure it out. So if you're going to somewhere to relax, your experience is going to be different than someone who's going to have an adventure. You're, different to, you're going to have a different experience than somebody who's going there to create business context. So I feel like we have to be clear about the intention that we have behind our travel and then what actions we're having to make to facilitate the outcome. That's so well put, bro. And I don't think anyone has really hinged on that on the show yet. Yo, we travel for different reasons. We all have different values, different things we want out of an experience, taking that blanket advice or just hearing the word travel and thinking that we all want the same thing is not a strong first step. You really have to get in tune with your intention. And it might take a few trips to figure out what your intentions might actually be. That's kind of why like travel is like so key to who I am because I've like put a lot of thought behind 
curating my travel experiences. And that's also part of the reason why I'm usually a solo traveler, because I know that a lot of people don't put a lot of thought behind it. Again, not travel shaming. A lot of travel is superficial. It's just for the image, and just for instantaneous, you know, feeling of luxury, whatever the hell it is. Like the flex. I really, exactly. I really view travel as an investment. Like, and then my investment is capitalizing on my relationships and my experiences that think on I'm going to be able to flip and create an itinerary that I can sell to my clients, or I'm going to flip and have a new business contact, or I'm going to flip and have a homeboy in a particular place that I can connect with when I get there. So like, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm traveling. Plus, <laughs> you have the lens of the cultural context. And, you know, is this the right place for me to be able to do those things? Yeah. And you actually teed this up perfectly for me because I know you're short on time. But before we have you shout out all the awesome things you're doing, the first thing I want to know is how does Ronald figure out his lodging, his transportation to get there, and how does he get a read on the culture? And then why you've made the shift or the occasional decision to bring people along for curated tours and adventures. So you want to know my my process. Exactly. Let's get to that sauce. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, Google is very, very, very powerful. In Peace Corps, we had this saying, it's called Google Unplugged. So when I was in Peace Corps, it was about 2009. This was before like the big smartphone boom. And plus on the ground in Paraguay, like a lot of us didn't have smartphones or connectivity. So we've had this thing called Google Unplugged. If you don't know, you have to ask. So I use Google Plugs now since I do have all this technology at my fingertips, but I just Google, you know, uh, the place where I want to go and exactly what features I'm looking for and seeing what the blogs are saying. What are people saying who've been to the place? What do their itineraries look like? What did they focus on? What what kind of prices did they spend? And then I'm also uh, going to travel groups on Facebook. And one of the things that I'm really trying to perfect now is sliding into DMs. You know, we use it as this thing about like dating and, you know, showing interest in people. But, you know, I'm following people on Instagram that are from the places where I want to go. And I'm sliding in their DMs and saying, hey, my name is Ronnell. I'm interested in Afro-Latin travel. And I'm also interested in places where Black queer people are. Can you maybe show me or tell me about some of those places and where I might want to look for more information? And literally all the responses that I get from those people is pure love. And they send me links. They send me flyers. They say, hey, what's your WhatsApp? I'm going to put you in this group. So it's, it's again, going back to the personal connections that I'm building. And then I can capitalize on those uh, when I get to the place. So a lot of research. A lot of rapport building with people who, who are on the ground and have experience doing exactly what I want to do. Before I ask any more questions, could you just repeat how you send out DMs? I, to me, the word slide implies some things. I like that you're comfortable using it, but let's say we just wanted to send a stranger DM. Could you repeat these four sentences that you type out? Because I think a lot of people can learn from that, whatever their intention is, because people be coming into DMs all kinds of sideways. I'd be looking like, what is wrong with you? Please say that again, because it was so well done. Absolutely. I agree that slide might kind of have some connotation, but I think that, you know, a part of what we're trying to do is show that, show what our intention is to maybe separate it from the slide connotation. So I say, my name is Ronnell. I'm interested in Afro-Latin communities. I would like you to show me or share with me some resources that you have so that I can get in contact with people in those communities. I'm interested in Black communities and I'm interested in places where Black queer people gather. Would you be open to showing me some information? And I, that's pretty much encapsulates who I am, what I want out of them and what I'm interested in. They automatically know that I'm not trying to slide into no other realm of interactions, but I, I, I'm you know, looking for tangible information that I can use to help plan my travel. 
bro, that is gold right there. Whether you're trying to reach out to a person of influence, a brand, he didn't add any links, a picture of himself. He didn't send out a freaking essay or his whole life story. Short and to the point, who you are, what you want, how they can help and move on with your day, y'all. Like <laughs> it's genius that you're using it to get these social plugs on, you know, really kind of getting a local feel and yes. an idea of that before you even arrive. That's so smart. I usually do it when I'm on the ground. So that's a tip for me, but it's the right way. Social media is powerful. So many people are seeing it done wrong and giving themselves a bad reputation or impression on strangers that might otherwise be favorable towards them. Yep. And you know what? I think that that strategy is the way that I, I can give my travel experience a local feel mm -hmm. rather than going to TripAdvisor or Booking.com and seeing what tours they have for sale. Like that's the difference. Like person who's probably going to their first trip to Mexico, I'm not travel shaming. They're probably going to TripAdvisor or Booking or some really commercial outlet. But the real folks who are going to have a local experience that you couldn't have as a tourist, they're sliding into DMs and they're connecting with people who live in those places who have the plug on stuff that tourists don't. A hundred percent. You're right. It's not to travel shame. We've said that a bunch this session. Wherever <laughs> you get started is where you get started. But now yes. Ronell has been sharing with you some real gems on where to go next. Anybody can get you started. This ain't the podcast for getting started. This is the podcast for getting an introduction and knowing that there are other options out there besides what you probably see most of online or, you know, through different media outlets. Absolutely. We're trying to give you an opportunity to take it to the next level and uh, diversify your travel experiences. And make yourself better for it. It's not just because this is how we feel. It's how we've experienced the best. And I don't know, it's it's our opinion. We're not always right, right? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not always right at all. You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> so how does one who's committed to solo traveling and revels in that experience, how did you start leading tours? And can you tell us a bit about your tour company? Yes. So I run Afro Buenaventura Transformative Travel. Mm. I know it's a long name. Um, it's named after a black community outside of Colombia. So one night I decided to go to this port community called Buenaventura. The travel guide said, don't go there because it's highly militarized, it's hood, it's ghetto, it's dangerous, don't go. But I knew that I had to pass through there to get to this remote fishing community. I went to that fishing community. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a hotel booked or anything. And the universe was literally speaking to me because I got off the boat. I walked up to the community. They were having a fair. And I said, hey, does anybody know where there's like a hotel nearby? This lady pointed to the guy. He said, yeah, I own one. He walked me about 500 yards away. I got a room for a few days and then I came back out to the beach and these kids were celebrating in song and dance their black culture in the Latin American context. So in Colombia and that the town that I took to get there was called Buenaventura. So I said, whoa, I need to tell other people that there are black communities out here in Latin America that have a vibrant connection with their African ancestry. So that's kind of why and how I started Afro Buenaventura initially as a blog to say these are spaces and places out there that you can explore. And then more people started saying, hey, I want to go with you. I want you to show me how to do this. So then I started offering curated travel experiences for people um, who want to travel with me. Tell me a little bit more about that. What separates your tours from other offers out there? We've learned so much about you and kind of the level of detail that you're interested in in grabbing when it comes to the culture, when it comes to blackness, when it comes to all of these things. What are people who sign up for your tours? What are they interested in? Why? What attracts them? The people that sign up for my tours are interested in connecting with blackness in Latin America in a very intimate way. So this means not on a big tour bus, but this means 
people that I have personal relationships who are providing touristic opportunities and experiences for folks. Um, and these touristic opportunities and experiences benefit the local communities. So the people that I hire, they are tour guides from the communities that are economically benefiting from our activity and us being there as tourists. People that come on my trip want to come on a trip where they can show up as their full selves. They're going to see stuff that tourists don't see. They want to build personal connections with folks who look like them and share their cultural background. I'm taking folks on experiences that might not look exactly like the Instagram photos that you see, you know, for a lot of travel influencers, but on trips that will change their lives and show them that their blackness is global and that their blackness is strong and beautiful. I love that. Their blackness is global. Their blackness is strong. This is right in line with everything you've shared with us so far. So I appreciate you speaking on it. Didn't mean to put you on a spot. But I'm glad that you were you were ready to talk about what you believe in. That's a that's a big deal. I feel like a guide that is just trying to facilitate them to have a different kind of travel experience than they may have had if they were to go with another company or if they were to go on their own. I really value the relationship that I have with my clients because they trust me enough to be able to do that for them. I think that makes all the sense in the world. It's really an opportunity for those going along with you to have a curated experience that that has meaning. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, we did half of that so far, but as we round out, man, as always, I want to hear about your upcoming trips, whether it be for your travel company or for yourself. And if you want, you can mention more about your tour company. The floor is all yours, my friend. Absolutely. So this November, I'm hosting a trip to Salvador de Bahia and also Sao Paulo, Brazil, where we'll be going to explore blackness in the Brazilian context. Salvador is known as Black Rome. And so, you know, the connotation behind that is that it is the foundation of Black identity in Brazil. And honestly, most of the the articulations of Brazilian culture that you see in the mass media all have a foundation in Africa. And that those cultural traditions were brought over to Brazil, most likely via Bahia. And now it is known as Brazilian culture. So we're really going to look at the African influence in, in, in Salvador and really just participate in all the beauty of the religion, the food, the music, and the people there. And we're also going to go to Salvador and understand how the diaspora functions in Salvador and really uh, get in contact with some local artists and activists that are really fighting for the rights of Black folks in Brazil. So that's what I'm doing in November. And folks can tag along to that trip. You can reach me at Afro Buenaventura on Instagram and all the information is there or AfroBuenaventura.com forward slash Black Rome. Awesome. And I appreciate you giving all of the access points. People be forgetting their emails or their accounts or their websites. And I'm like, my G, come on, man. Like, let me be your Scotty Pippen. Like, I'm just send out the alley-oop. Like, I need you to dunk it, Jordan. Thank you. You nailed it. That's a perfect example, y'all. Gold standard. Any other trips for yourself coming up? Any areas of the world that you haven't explored yet that you'd also like to get to know better? You know, I, I said I went to Brazil last late last year, and I'm really, really, really stuck on Brazil. Like, I'm in love with Brazil. Um, so I imagine I'll go back to Brazil. Salvador is actually hosting Afropunk. So I will be there for my group trip. I will be there for Afropunk. And hopefully I will be in Rio for New Year's. Um, and then as far as what I want to do differently this year, I probably want to get back to the content. I really enjoy Ghana, but I would also like to explore some other places on the western coast of Africa. We'll see what it holds. You know, a lot of my travel decisions are based on what travel deals pop up throughout the year. So I think that'll really influence a lot 
Okay, that's fair. And as we get ready to sign out, what are your top two sites for finding travel deals? Or are they even websites at all? Maybe you subscribe to a secret magazine or newsletter. I don't know. No, Scott's, uh, <laughs> Scott's, is it called Scott's Secret Flying? Yeah, I think it's called Scott's uh, Deals. Those are two separate sites. Oh, yeah. Secret Flying is one, but Scott's is one. I get Scott's that Cheap email. Flights. Scott's Cheap Flights and then the flightdeal.com. Every single day, like if there's no other emails that I check, I absolutely check their newsletters and I scroll down to see what destinations they have coming out of D.C. So that's really kind of how a lot of my travel year shapes up is what mm -hmm. what what deals are there. And if the deal is in a region of the world that I want to explore, then I, I book it. And I'm going to pester you one more time. So those sites were theflightdeal.com, secretflying.com. Scott's Cheap Flights. Now with Scott's Cheap Flights, there's a free option and a premium option. Which option do you find is serving you best? Free. <laughs> free 99. <laughs> Here for it. They only give you like a glimpse with the free version, but that's all I need. And then usually Secret Flying or the flight deal will also, you know, show some of the other stuff too. So I don't pay for any access to secret information about flight deals. I literally look at only the publicly available information, but also if there's anything that I miss within those emails, somebody in one of my Facebook travel groups will have said this is an unmissable opportunity. So I'll catch it somehow, you know, whether it's on Facebook via social media or it's in the direct emails from the companies themselves. For sure. And if y'all aren't sold based on his travel experience and how much of the world he's seen and continues to see using these opportunities to save on flights, remember y'all, chase that deal. But I'm looking at uh, secretflying.com. There's an error fare, which means somebody made a typo error. New York to Cairo, Egypt for $260. So these are the sort of things you can look forward to. I saw that. Yeah, bro. People think we bullshit and like these deals are out here. You just got to set yourself up for success. But thank you for sharing some more of your, your secret sauce on how you get things done. Bro, it's been a pleasure talking. I feel like we finally had a full er conversation than at Audacity Fest. Dude, this is this has been a pleasure. I'm feeling like I need to learn Portuguese and head down to Brazil soon because that's the way I like to approach things. But um, yeah, dude, this has been really enjoyable. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. It's been great. I really appreciate it. And you know what? I really value you, you creating the space for brothers like me or unlike me to show up as our full selves and provide a platform for folks to share their experiences. So I, I value that. And I'm looking forward to um, listening to this actual version of <laughs> this episode of the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely, man. You got to listen, listen, dead ass. You got to listen to your own show. I don't want to get deep about it, but I appreciate that you have intention to do that. And dude, I'd be learning from you and everybody else who's in the show, in my circle of influence that I follow on social media. So it's constant learning. So I appreciate just the note on that, man. I'd be doing my best. Dude, until next time, travel safely, travel well. Uh, we hope to see you back here at The Point soon. Thank you for having me. Have a great one. Peace. This has to be one of my favorite endings to a session ever. Not only did we squeeze a little bit more knowledge out of Ronell, thank you so much, bro, for your patience, but actually got to read off some real-time flight deals for y'all. It is not a game. These deals, these opportunities are out here. So chase that deal, take his advice, find these websites, and look out for your next opportunity. Thanks again, Ronell, for spending the time with us on the platform. Y'all make sure you follow him on Instagram, Afro Buenaventura on IG and the website afrobuenaventura.com. You can see this amazing black Rome trip he has coming up. Sounds like something you do not want to miss. And seriously, 
I'm feeling like I need to be in Brazil because I love how he described the intersectionality and celebration of blackness that's going on or that's been going on in that country. I just like to be in the space and see what it's like, see if I can glean a little bit of knowledge, build some relationships and see how I can better build this community here that also is centered a lot around blackness and celebration. It's such a beautiful thing. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, bro. So that all being said, this has been another great session from us here at the Point Noir Podcast. Hope you feel the same way I do, just charged and inspired and ready to not only explore the world, but explore ourselves and figure out more about who we are. It's always a great time for some self-growth and self-discovery. That all being said, if you're not following us on IG yet, at Point Noir Show on Twitter, at Point Noir Show. If you have a homeboy, a cousin, a lover, a nephew, a husband, a boyfriend, whatever, who does not have their passport and is over the age of 21, hit us up. We are literally doing the best we can to get the word out about us sponsoring these passports, and he could be winner number 20. So you want to go to the IG page again at Point Noir Show and you'll get all the details there. It's right there on our highlights, and there's a nice post there as well. Hope you can enter, and best of luck. I believe you can win. I believe in you. Can't wait to see you all next week. Same time, same station. This is the Point Noir Podcast. My name is Jerry the Third, a.k.a. Kimono Jack, signing off. See you next week.